Well, a Thurston County football star has been missing for more than a year. Detectives are continuing to search for Investigators him. found the young man's car with his wallet and his cell phone inside. We're not certain that he's dead. We're not certain he's alive. It's what keeps me up at night. Totally out of character for him. Shinobin's family won't give up looking until they get answers. Just desperate to know he's okay. From Sasquatch Productions, this is Hide and Seek. The Investigation of Logan Schindelman. I'm your host, James Basinger. Hey guys, in the last episode, you guys heard the testimonies from Sharon and Julie. Julie claims to have seen Logan's car driven on Thursday, but not by Logan. She says the vehicle was driven by a white male. I saw somebody driving Logan's car because I wasn't really sure. I saw it, was, it wasn't Logan driving. It was a white guy, and I didn't really think anything about it. It was a white man for sure, and he was um, thin and had uh, reddish blonde hair. And I only saw a little piece of hair, so I don't know if he had a hat on or whatever. I don't remember hat. I just know that I saw this little piece of hair up. Sharon remembers seeing Logan's car twice on Thursday. The first time she spots his car, it's sitting vacant along the right shoulder of I-5 while she's driving to work in the morning. The second time Sharon spots the car is when she left work early to prepare for a birthday gathering. The vehicle is still parked at the same location, but this time, she remembers seeing the hood of the car open and three males standing next to it. One white male is standing at the front and appears to be working on the engine. The second white male is standing by the driver's side door, and one black male standing behind the vehicle. When comparing the two testimonies, both women believe that when they spotted the vehicle Thursday afternoon, the time was around 3.30. So today, we're going to dive into Logan's cell phone activity, and I want to prepare you. There's a lot to unpack here. We're going to address Logan's cell phone location and text messages leading up to the time Logan's car was reported drifting across I-5. I'd like to start by explaining how I got the information from Logan's phone. When Detective Beale retrieved Logan's phone, Ginny shared with him that she didn't know Logan's password to unlock the device. Detective Beale used a program called Cellbrite to extract the data from Logan's phone, a Galaxy Note Edge. Logan's phone did have a SIM card in it. If you've ever wondered what a SIM card does, it's a computer chip which holds information and allows you to connect to your network carrier, allowing you to send SMS messages, calls, and connect to the mobile internet like 4G and now 5G. They're also transferable, and you can choose to save messages, contacts, and emails to them. Logan's phone did not contain an SD card. SD stands for Secure Digital Memory Cards, and are used to store everything from contact information to music and movies that you can play on your phone. And SD cards are commonly used because the phone or SIM card don't have enough memory. Ever run into that issue in the past, or maybe even present, when you go to download an update on your phone and you get the notification stating, not enough memory, you must free up storage. Well, that's what SD cards are used for, more memory storage. And I'd like to point out, at one point, I also had a Samsung Galaxy Note Edge, and yes, I inserted an SD card. When Detective Buell extracted the data, he was able to identify the people Logan had communicated with going back to April 30th, 2016. And this is how I'm able to see and know who and what Logan was doing on his cell phone. But it's not as easy as you may think it is to read through. I'll explain what I mean as we move forward. It's Monday, May 16th, 2016. It's game one of the NBA Western Conference Finals matchup between Kevin Durant and the Seattle Supersonics, also known as Oklahoma City Thunder, versus Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors. Logan's posting on his Snapchat account around 3.26 p.m. He writes, KD's entrance, followed by, Russ is ready, 
throughout the game, he continues to post about the playoff matchup. He starts to post about different topics. The hard part is knowing the image behind the text. One post says, yeah, I'm going to need you to come in on Saturday, followed by when it's only Monday and the boss tells you you'll have to come in this weekend. And another, co-worker looking like he had a rough weekend. He continues on, but nothing really relevant is ever posted. But I did find it interesting because I was told Logan didn't have a job when he went missing. Could have been miscommunication, or maybe he quit the week of. Remember that red bag in the back of Logan's car? It was sitting behind the passenger seat. Mary Ware told me that that bag belonged to Logan from a previous job he had. On the first day, they gave those bags to the new employees. But Mary cleared the air when she shared that Logan never went back to work for the establishment since he didn't feel it was a good fit for him. But let's continue. Logan continues posting on Snap about the game and appears to be reading the well-known music producer DJ Khaled's Snapchat post. Logan is home at 4.45 p.m. I can 100% confirm this because one of the benefits when extracting data from Cellbrite is that it shows us the MAC address to Logan's home Wi-Fi. It also shows us when he's using cellular tower data. Here's the difference between the two. When you're connected to Wi-Fi, the coordinates for your location is pretty precise. Think of it this way. If you walk away from the location of the Wi-Fi router and you get too far, you'll eventually get out of range to pick up the Wi-Fi signal. That signal is essentially the radius or umbrella of your location. One other way to determine one's location is by using cellular data, not to be confused with cellular tower pinging. Cellular data is what Ginny used when she thought Logan was over at his mom's when she traced his phone using the cell data. Remember, SIM cards allow you to use cellular network internet. When using cell data, it also provides a small radius of one's GPS location. For example, if you have an Apple iPhone, there's an app pre-installed called Find My, or previously known as Find My Friends. If you choose to share your location with someone, check each other's location while disconnected from any Wi-Fi signal, and you'll see for yourself. So when connected to Wi-Fi or using cellular network to track one's location, it's pretty precise. But when you try to figure out someone's location by cell towers, it's a much larger radius. When a phone is initially set up, the phone asks the user if they would like to assist Google or any third-party software in making their product better. When the user agrees, the phone will collect information and send it to the company. The company then uses that information to sell advertisements for the area in which the phone is being used. The location information is gathered by several different interfaces in the phone. Locations are determined by sharing information reported by the phone's GPS unit in conjunction with radio access points such as cell towers, Bluetooth, and Wi-Fi devices. As a phone is moved around, it is looking for radio access points. When a stationary access point is located, the phone will report its GPS location to the company. There are two unknown variables when trying to determine an exact location when utilizing this technology. The first unknown variable is the accuracy of the GPS signal when the phone is establishing its location. The accuracy or inaccuracy could be within feet, meters, or miles. The second unknown variable is the radio access point. A radio access point sends out an omnidirectional signal. The best way to put it, when you triangular ping someone's phone, it tells you where someone is not, but you do have an area where they are, just not as precise as Wi-Fi connection or cellular data. When you triangular ping someone's phone, the cell tower takes an average location when provided with multiple hits on a single radio access point. So again, the easiest way to understand this, when I'm looking at Logan's cell phone pings, I know he's in this area of town. 
How accurate that radius is could be up to a couple miles, but I definitely know he's not across town or another city. That's why I say when pinging someone's phone, we know where they're not. So let's continue. Logan arrives home, connects to his Wi-Fi at 4.45 p.m. He continues to post about the game throughout the night and finishes his last post on Snapchat, writing, OKC takes game one on the road. On a three-point attempt, and that will do it. It is another road victory in the playoffs for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Tuesday, May 17th. The time is 7.22 a.m., and Logan appears to be on Snapchat. I see 13 different messages within a minute. Some have written messages and others have no text. As I'm understanding the Cellbrite data transfer, the posts that have no text within the data entry is either a picture that I'm not able to view, or it could be Logan looking at his own feed to see who's watched his snap post. At 8.09 a.m., Logan watches a story from a gal by the name of Jay Lynn. The snap post says, I need this so bad. And another 20 minutes later, Logan watches another one of her posts. Second exam of the day, with a sad emoji face. Logan leaves his house around 12.10pm, and I want to point out that I know when Logan leaves because of the cell tower that always pings as soon as he disconnects from his home Wi-Fi. This tower pings within a mile of his home near I-5. I'd also like to mention that my family and I have spent numerous hours, close to the amount of three full days, in mapping out each individual ping from the different cell towers. So Logan leaves in the afternoon, and I don't see any activity on his phone throughout the rest of the day. He returns to the house and connects to his home Wi-Fi at 5.04 p.m. He then exchanges text messages with Carolina about how each other's day was going. Nothing significant. At 9.04 p.m., Logan's cell phone again connects to the home Wi-Fi. Between 5.04 p.m. and 9.04 p.m., his cell phone never pings from a cell tower. It's my understanding that Logan never left his home between those hours. He may have just turned his Wi-Fi off and back on, or it disconnected due to technical error and reconnected at that specific time. It's also possible his phone died, so he plugs it back in, causing it to reconnect at 9.04 as it's powering back up. But the point is, I know he's at home at 9.04 p.m. Some of you may wonder why he would turn his Wi-Fi off if that's what happened. So I want to give you a little crash course on home Wi-Fi and why one would disconnect. The first reason to consider, shared Wi-Fi. You pay an internet provider a certain dollar amount each month for their service. When paying for internet, you'll have internet speed options to choose from. The faster the internet, the more it costs you as the consumer. Let's say Ginny chose to go with an average or okay internet speed plan. The internet speed is now shared with any device in the household that connects to the Wi-Fi. For each device that is using internet, the Wi-Fi router will shoot out an equal amount of bandwidth speed that allows the user internet connection. So think of it as a pie. The more devices that are connected to the Wi-Fi, the smaller the slice of bandwidth speed, meaning the more devices connected, you should expect the internet to be relatively slower. The second reason to consider, shared neighborhood internet. Now, if you've ever had to call in about your internet performing much slower than normal, a popular provider such as Charter Internet, for example, uses fiber optic cabling to provide their service. Now, if you've ever had to call in about your internet performing much slower than normal, one of the common explanations you'll hear is that it could be the timing of the day. If your neighbors have the same internet provider, then you're all pulling internet from the same fiber optic lines provided to your neighborhood. So let's say Logan gets home at 504. 
Throughout the evening, as people are arriving home from work or after school activities and start using their phones, laptops, gaming systems, TVs, each household is pulling more internet to their residence, which then slows down the internet to the neighborhood. So if Logan's internet slows down, he could decide to disconnect his Wi-Fi at some point. Now, if you're just checking emails or doing something on your device that doesn't require much internet, you'd have no issues and may not even notice. But watching Netflix or using multiple apps such as Snapchat, Facebook, or Prime TV could cause the internet to be noticeably slower and need to buffer. The last text message that goes through during that block of time is at 7.57pm. Logan sends a message to Carolina saying how his day has been alright and asking how hers has been. There's no response until his phone pings from his home Wi-Fi at 9.04pm. And at that exact time, Logan receives two text messages... Logan receives two text messages from Carolina within seconds of each other. This makes me think of the text messages that came through on Logan's phone once they powered it on on Monday, May 23rd from Carolina, Ginny, Hannah, and Chloe. But let's continue. Logan's phone has no other activity after receiving Carolina's text at 9.04 p.m. when she asks, how's your day been so far? It's not until the early morning, Wednesday the 18th at 3.22 a.m., I see that he's connecting to the home Wi-Fi. At 4.03 a.m., he searches on his cell phone web browser, How the Dark Side Works. When I searched on Bing as Logan did, I come up with this quote, The dark side of personality consists of a variety of sometimes beneficial, sometimes harmful characteristics. The dark side of work when bad behavior has good results and other paradoxes. Seconds later, Logan searches How to Avoid the Slender Man. For those of you who don't know who the Slender Man is, it's a fictional supernatural character, unnaturally tall humanoid, with a featureless head and face and wearing a black suit. It's creepy looking. A couple of minutes later, Logan looks up the worst singer in the world at stupidvideos.com. It appears Logan was just web surfing random things. I've read on some Reddit threads that some individuals have suggested he maybe showed signs of a mental health disorder, such as schizophrenia. From looking at his search history, text messages, and my conversations with his friends and family, I don't think that that was the case, and neither do they. At 6am, Logan sends a lengthy rap lyric to a girl named Brittany. I tried contacting Brittany, but haven't had success. Here's what she said to Detective Beale when questioned about the relationship and the text message. She said she went to school with Logan, but wasn't really friends with him at the time they were in school. She had recently saw him on a dating website named Tinder. She contacted him, and they were in the beginning stages of talking, but didn't really have a relationship. She doesn't know where Logan is at, and had no insight into the case. Logan's web activity is pretty active all the way up to 6.53 a.m., and it stops. At some point, he must have gone out to the kitchen and had the epiphany conversation with Ginny. His cell phone connects to the home Wi-Fi at 7.45 a.m. He's on Facebook until 8.17 a.m. and then searches, Spongebob is Satan. Something you should know about Logan is that he liked the famous cartoon since he was a kid. Nothing else happens on his phone until 10.36 a.m. Ginny sends Logan the text, I usually get texts and I get emails. If you need me for anything, I love you. In episode one, I asked Ginny why she sent that text message. Well, I was probably just concerned about him with his epiphany he couldn't talk about and his feeling like he could, he might just disappear and no I'd, one would know where he was. I recently confirmed with Ginny, when was the last time you saw Logan? She said it was during the epiphany conversation. This is why I say 
that the conversation took place on May 18th. And I'm reiterating this because I've seen it so many times that this conversation took place on Thursday. Logan's cell phone reconnects to his home Wi-Fi at 11.37 a.m. At 11.43, he types an outgoing text message, more rap lyrics, but he never sends them to anyone. Six minutes later, at 11.49, he sends the same text message. It's the same rap lyrics that he had just written. But again, it doesn't show who they're being sent to, like the rest of the text messages I can see who he's sending or receiving messages from. It's not until 4.20 p.m. when Carolina asked him, When are we actually going to hang out? Or see each other? You still with me? Because this is when you really need to start paying attention. Seconds later, Logan's phone has left the house and is now starting to ping from a cell tower. A big part of my frustration with Cellbrite extraction is that some of the tower pings have longitude and latitude coordinates. This specific ping, unfortunately, doesn't. But Logan's cell phone leaving the house at 4.20pm plays a big part in my opinion. A minute later, Logan sends a text to his mother Hannah. I've been up and down, kind of all over. I love you too. Logan's reply is a response to a message Hannah sent to Logan the previous weekend on Saturday, May 14th. Hannah texted Logan, Hi, how have you been? I love you. Two minutes later, Logan responds to Ginny's text he received earlier. Okay, thank you. I love you too. At 4.24pm, Logan sends the text to Carolina, I don't know, hopefully I survive this week. At 5.01pm, Logan reconnects to his home Wi-Fi. Keep in mind, Ginny said she hadn't seen Logan since the morning conversation on Wednesday. Now, Ginny wouldn't get home from work until around 5.45, 6 o'clock, depending on traffic, or if she needed to pick up groceries. And yes, I've mapped out this route. With little to no traffic, it'll take at least 20 minutes to get from one location to the other. Logan's phone receives a few more texts from Carolina. Those text messages were read to you in episode 1. The last and final text message Logan sends out is to Carolina at 5.46 p.m. I don't know, you probably know more about it than me. From the looks of it, it looks like this message was sent twice within a matter of five seconds. I believe that it's just a technical error when Selbra extracted the data. But at this point, Ginny hasn't arrived home yet. Three more messages come in from Carolina. The last one is at 5.54. Then there's almost a two-hour period where we don't see any activity on Logan's phone. At 7.36 p.m., the same rap lyrics that were originally written down at 11.43 a.m. earlier that day shows again as an outgoing text. It still doesn't show who the text is being sent to, since it doesn't have a phone number attached to it like the rest of the outgoing or incoming text messages do. It's hard to understand or make sense of this. My guess is that it's not Logan retyping the 97-worded rap lyrics verbatim. I think it may just be a draft in his text messages that's showing again in his text history. I haven't been able to figure this one out. But again, I don't think Logan's typing the message. About an hour and a half later, 9.10pm, it's Logan on Bing.com searching the song by Kit Cudi, Erase Me. She said I don't spend time like I really should. She said she don't know me anymore. Seconds later, he searches on Bing, Black and Orange Spider. I don't really understand this one either, or necessarily believe that he actually searched that. Because back on May 2nd, Logan searched the same thing, and right after that, he searched North American spiders. I don't know if the search black and orange spider is under a separate web browser tab on his phone, and it's showing up on his history again because he clicked on the tab to search something else on Bing, or that it was the tab he used to search the Kid Cudi song. 
and it just refreshed. I don't know. Later that night, at 9.25 p.m., his phone connects to the home Wi-Fi network. If you're wondering, how is that possible if Jenny said she hadn't seen Logan since their conversation Wednesday morning? Jenny could have already gone to bed, because remember, she had to leave by 7.30, so she was more than likely up before 7 a.m. After connecting to the Wi-Fi at 9.25 p.m., there's no phone activity until the early morning of May 19th, 3.16 a.m. Later that morning, at 11.38 a.m., Logan's phone starts to ping off cell towers. The first tower pings near his house, as though he was just leaving. The second ping is seconds later. It pings his phone headed north from his home. This ping is approximately three miles away. Two hours later, Jenny sends Logan a text. I didn't see you this morning. Are you okay? I asked Jenny about this to better understand the context of the text message. Obviously, she didn't see him. I asked her when she left for work Thursday morning, did she see his car in the driveway or in the garage? She said Logan would normally park his car in the garage, but doesn't recall seeing it when leaving for work. Knowing Logan was connected to the home Wi-Fi at 3.16 a.m., is it safe to assume he was there? After leaving at 11.38 a.m., Logan's phone returns and connects to the Wi-Fi at 3.17 p.m. At 3.34, Logan creates a text. I don't believe this text is meant to go to someone. It's rap lyrics, like the thread he created before. But these rap lyrics have never been written before. Oh, you think you heavy? Well, I bet. I look back through his text history to April 30th to make sure that this wasn't showing up as a text that was drafted and appearing as a new message on his text history. This happened before for other rap texts that were never sent. No other times has he written these lyrics. And then, there's a five-hour gap where we don't hear from Logan. This is a crucial part of the timeline. When reading over text messages, cell tower pings, wireless network connections, Snapchat posts, Facebook notifications, Kick app notifications, emails, 3,307 entries later, this entry doesn't make sense. At 8.45 p.m., Logan's phone connects to the home Wi-Fi network. Seconds later, he receives two text messages at the exact same time. First, from Ginny, something wrong with your TV. Then, from a man named Griffin, $75, half. Then, 11 seconds later, his phone shows the rap lyric he created at 334. Oh, you think you heavy? Well, I bet. I feel that the rap lyric is showing again because it was drafted as an outgoing text, but never sent. So, here's my takeaway. At 8.45, Logan's phone was turned back on at Ginny's residence. As soon as it does, it connects to the Wi-Fi and pings at home. The text messages from Ginny and Griffin are received as soon as the cell is powered back on, just like Monday, May 23rd, and come in at the exact same time. Or you could believe that Ginny and Griffin texted Logan at the exact same time at the exact same second. But that's a big coincidence. The rap lyric is showing again because of the phone powering on as an outgoing message even though it's never sent to someone. This event raises a few red flags. If Jeannie said the last time that she saw Logan was Wednesday morning, then why is his phone connecting to the Wi-Fi the next day? I asked Jeannie about this. She reiterated, the last time that she saw Logan was Wednesday morning. She followed up by asking if it was possible for Logan to maybe sit in the car and play around on his phone Thursday evening. Possible? Sure. But we don't see any activity again until his phone receives a message at 10.47 p.m. on an app called Kick. 
it appears this particular message is from a spam account, and the message inbox doesn't show anything. Logan used the Kik app frequently, but none of the messages I saw exchanged are of any significance. The next activity is at 11.40pm. The phone pings off a tower 7 miles north of his home. When looking at this ping, the closest known residence to Logan is Hannah's house, which is a little bit more than a mile away. The next time his phone is active, the time is 2.35 a.m. The rap lyric that he wrote earlier, Oh, you think you heavy, well I bet, shows up again as an outgoing message. But this time, there's more words added to the lyric. Air is the freshest, weed is the loudest. There are a few reasons as to why there's more text. One, it's Logan adding to the rap lyrics. Two, it's the same glitch as before. The phone has been powered on. Cellbrite is reading it as an outgoing message, which is why it's reappearing. Possible reason why there's more text in this message versus the previous two is because when Cellbrite extracted the info, the data off Logan's phone, it didn't always pull the entire text message. There are a few times when reading a text message from Carolina, for example, I don't see the entire text message. This doesn't happen often, but it does happen, which could explain why there's more rap lyrics in this draft text message. Or, option three, someone other than Logan added to the lyrics. My gut says, option two is more than likely what happened. I don't know the location of the phone during this 2.35 a.m. rap lyric text. At 3.43 a.m., Logan's phone starts to ping off cell towers again, and it pings 36 times between 3.43 and 3.50 a.m. Each ping has the phone traveling south on 9.5. Eventually, the phone stops at 3.50 a.m. As to why it stopped, I believe whoever has the phone turned it off. The location of this ping is right before exit 88 to Grand Mound. It appears the phone turns back on at 7.20 a.m. Logan's phone receives another kick message. At 7.38 a.m., Logan's phone shows another ping, but this time now back east of Tumwater. The distance between the 3.50 a.m. ping and the 7.38 a.m. ping is approximately 22 miles. The phone continues to ping between 7.38 a.m. and 7.42 a.m. 12 times, but the phone stays in the same area during those four minutes, and then the phone is off. At 8.53 a.m., an hour and 11 minutes later, his phone appears to be back on and is continually pinging over 70 times, but the phone is now north of the previous location. The closest landmark that is known in the area of these pings is Hannah's house. When looking at the initial incident report, Ginny states that she checked Logan's cell phone location on Friday, May 20th, and that that was the last time his phone was on. She said his phone pinged near Hannah's and she thought he was over there. I believe Ginny pinged his phone around 8.55 a.m. since the ping I see at that time is a street over. His phone continues to ping headed north and then east. There was a period of time that Logan's phone sits on the same tower from 9.08 to 9.10. Then it continues to head south. The phone pings at 9.10 for the last time that morning, and then the phone appears to shut off. If you're wondering why I say the phone is off, it's because at 12.56 p.m., nearly three hours later, the phone is now 111 miles south and now pinging in Camas, Washington. The phone starts to head back towards Olympia and is continually pinging when heading that direction. If it was on, it would have shown that it was heading south. The phone battery eventually dies at 1.25 p.m. The last ping shows the phone traveling north along I-5 and had just passed exit 9. That is the last time Logan's phone is on until Monday, May 23rd. It's a lot of information to process. My big questions from laying this information out. Why is Logan's phone connecting to the home Wi-Fi on Thursday at 8.45 p.m.? 
Why did the phone travel down south and ping in the Grand Mounds area at 3.50 a.m. Friday, just before it being shut off, and then powering back on the phone at 7.20 a.m. east of Lacey? At this point, was the phone in someone else's possession? And is someone trying to throw us off by traveling down to Camus? I believe whoever has Logan's phone, they're turning the phone on to conserve battery power and to check the status of incoming text, or a better way to put it, the level of concerns from others. And as I said before, it's a lot of information to process. So I don't want to put too much more into this topic just yet. So we're going to pause and pivot towards the interview with the male on the bike. So I got some text messages. It says, I saw McAllister riding a bike down my road today. He was on his phone with somebody saying how he knew about that Logan kid from Tumwater and how he went missing off the freeway down here a few years ago. Apparently he knows all about it. I wanted just to see if there's any truth to that. Oh, there's a lot of truth to it, actually. Here, I'll start from the beginning on this whole thing, all right? Oh, yeah, go for it. Okay, Logan Snydelman is Chloe Snydelman's brother. Chloe Snydelman is my brother Lauren's ex-girlfriend from 2010 to 2014, somewhere in that area. Now, they dated for that period of time. They, in fact, lived at my dad's house in a room out in the garage that I built, and I had a room that was about 40 feet away. I lived with my girlfriend in while I worked for Olympia Auto by the time. The entire time that they dated, me nor my dad never heard of Chloe ever having a brother. The way I came across this case is this store right next to where I lived had a flyer out there saying Logan Schneidel, the missing person case. So the last name just kind of hit me. I figured I'd run a Google search on that. Now, this is what hit me like a ton of bricks on that whole case. I run this Google search on our image search with Logan Schneidelman. And there's a picture in there of Logan Schneidelman. That is not Logan Schneidelman. I can tell you this for a damn fact because I took the picture. It's a person I worked with over at Mako Auto Paint in 2010. In fact, I still have the negative of it, and I still have the 4x6. The officers refused to look at it. That guy's Mexican. His name's Victor. I'm not going to give his last name, but it's Victor. Okay, I'm a little cut off by this one because he's basically saying the picture that I have on my own Facebook hide-and-seek page of Logan wearing the red Obey cap is not Logan. James went on to tell me about a request his friend had made to work on a new car that they had purchased. This vehicle was supposedly Logan's. I asked James to send me a picture of the vehicle. It doesn't match the paint. James continued on by telling me about a time where his neighbor had told him that James's father was the father of Logan. So the last thing is, I will swing by your house in a half hour to uh, talk with you about this. I know you're Logan's father, or I'm the father which kind of is very uh, disturbing. And right after that message is sent, she uh, blocks the any incoming messages going to her. I decide after an hour, I'm going to walk, especially when something says that you're the father and what's going on. I go there very nicely. I knock on her door, and I'm greeted by a, how do you put it? Get the fuck off my property. Don't ever come here again, you son of a bitch. Uh, I don't care what you, yeah, it was, that was the greeting after being invited come over, go look through Tumwater High School's yearbook, because there is no fucking Logos and Yeah, we're going to stop there. As much as I appreciate interviewing individuals and people coming forward, I'm going to go ahead and cut this interview short. Where I feel like we need to go next, and I want to get it all out there, is talking about the testimonies of individuals who believe that they saw or interacted with Logan after he went missing. 
A female in Atlanta, Georgia, called in regarding a sighting of Logan. She told Thurston County that she picked up a tall, dark, and handsome male this morning for an Uber pool ride. She stated she received a phone call from the client at 8.47 a.m. This female was driving her white 2019 Nissan Sentra. She mentioned it was Gay Pride Week in Atlanta. However, she didn't believe this man was involved. She said he was well-dressed and believed he was going to work. She was unable to locate the address where she dropped him off because the application for Uber was having difficulties. I requested she call back when she was able to locate this information. She was able to tell me the location of the man's Uber profile has the default pickup location as Mary Gorge Avenue, Northwest Atlanta, Georgia. I asked her if there was an address or block number, maybe a corresponding intersection, and she said there wasn't. This concluded the testimony of this female. On September 26, I received a phone message from Tyler. I'm not going to say his last name. Tyler said about a month ago, he had a conversation with a person he believed was Logan. Tyler explained that his vehicle broke down in the area of Pacific and College Street in Lacey. He walked to the Starbucks around the corner at 700 College Street. He asked several patrons at the Starbucks if he could use their phone to call AAA. The call to AAA took a while, about 30 minutes, and while on hold, Tyler was able to have a conversation with this person. They talked about college as Tyler is currently attending SPSCC. The person responded, college was not my cup of tea. This seems consistent with Logan's history. Tyler said he noticed this person was with an older black male in the late 30s to early 40s. The older male was slightly overweight and was dressed nicely, wearing a nice wristwatch along with khaki pants and glasses. They talked about the older person who works with computers and lives in the Olympia area. Tyler explained that he doesn't live in the city but outside of the city. Tyler spoke as if he vaguely knew where the residence was, or he may have known a general location but could no longer recall that location stating it was outside of the city, in a wooden area but not far out of the city. Tyler is attempting to get exact date and time this conversation happened. Tyler explained he is a full-time student with several jobs and it's hard for him to find the time outside of his normal routine to deal with things. Tyler believes he will be able to contact AAA to find out exactly when he called them. I contacted Starbucks and spoke with the employee Haley. Haley stated there is surveillance at the store but she doesn't know how long it is retained. She also stated, the surveillance is not retained at the store. They do not have access to the surveillance. The video footage from the surveillance is maintained at corporate headquarters. Haley was willing to assist by helping me get in touch with corporate headquarters about surveillance, but a date and time is needed. I was able to get Tyler to meet me in person. I recorded the interview. He clarified some points of confusion. The day he met Logan, he was at the business complex turning in job applications and locked his keys in his vehicle. This is when he went to Starbucks to borrow some of his phone to call AAA. Comments were made to Tyler that the older person who was helping Logan out was helping him quit using marijuana. This statement, along with the comment about college not being his cup of tea, fits Logan's profile in a fashion where it would be unlikely a random person could come up with this associative information without knowing the particulars of the case. I contacted the owner of Limeberry and confirmed Tyler submitted an application at the store. The owner was not able to provide a specific date or time the application was turned in, but it could have been around mid-August, plus or minus two weeks as there was no date placed on Tyler's application. But there were other applications before this and after this. When asked why Tyler believes the person he was talking with was Logan, he said the person he was talking with looked like the photo presented on the missing person flyers, and he believes the person told him his name was Logan. Tyler stated that when he used the phone to contact AAA, he provided them with a callback number, which would be the phone number from which he called Logan's phone. 
Tyler said that he would contact AAA and attempt to get that number, but he is busy. Tyler agreed to contact AAA over the weekend and get back with me. I told Tyler I would follow up with him on Wednesday if I have not heard from Tyler. I have not heard from Tyler and his voicemail was full when I called him on Wednesday and on Thursday. I was able to leave a message, but have not heard back from him. I reached out to Tyler. I haven't heard a response back yet, but as soon as I do, I'll let you guys hear what he has to say about that encounter when he called AAA. The next spotting we're going to go to happened on March 16th, 2018 at about 12 p.m. William, a.k.a. Spike, called to report possibly seeing Logan on 11-9-2018. Spike informed me he is a long-haul truck driver. Spike was at the Flying J Truck stop off of I-40 in New Mexico. Flying J Truck is located at 9911 Avalon Road Northwest, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Spike said he recently saw a YouTube posting about Logan. Spike was not 100% sure but felt the notice was of the same man he saw at the truck stop on 11-9-2018. Spike told me he was driving through and stopped at the truck stop. The man Spike feels as Logan was with a bunch of others, a couple males, a female, Spike said the group were panhandling for money and looked homeless. The female was holding a sign which said, headed to Vegas. Oddly enough, as I've been investigating Logan's case, I got a call from an individual who wanted to tell me how they believe they saw Logan in Las Vegas. From what you put on the Facebook page, Mary Ware reached out to me um, and she had mentioned, or she had showed me the message and I wanted to kind of figure out what you had saw down in Vegas. I only encountered this uh, this person for probably 30 seconds, and it was on Thursday, September 10th, and the reason I know the dates is because it was the first day I was there, and I was just walking down the strip, and so I was just kind of, you know, observing the people around us. It was still daylight. It was about probably six o'clock in the evening, and this one uh, gentleman comes walking, and he just caught my attention for no other reason than I just looked at him and thought that guy doesn't look like somebody who's should be here and look in that kind of that state. He just looked very somber, Mm -hmm. um, sullen. One of the reasons he caught my attention was because I remember thinking, is he, uh, is he African American? Is he black? Is he middle Eastern descent? Like I just, he was just, just kind of striking to me is he wasn't dark, like a black man, but he was tanned probably from the sun. Um, he had a, like a, a hat on or in dark clothing, kind of dirty, a scruffy beard that wasn't a groomed beard, um, like a beard like I haven't shaved. He didn't look homeless, but he didn't look like, like he didn't look normal. He looked like he was either homeless or shouldn't be homeless, or but he didn't look like he was all on drugs. And that's the reason he just caught my attention was just because of his look. Some of these kids, when you see them and you see homeless people or you see people on drugs, they, they kind of look the part. I don't mean to be rude when I say that. They just look like they've been doing it. That's their choice. This person just was walking kind of away from everyone alone. Um, very thin build, probably 130, 140 pounds. Face was a little sunken like maybe he hadn't eaten. Then when I watched this show, I mean, today, I watched it, just, I got home from vacation, I'm doing laundry, and just kind of turned the TV on, and I I just, I got chills when I saw him, and I just kept watching the episode, and I just got chills thinking, oh my God, I think I walked right by that guy. During the episode, they said, uh, when they brought up the part where, you know, he wasn't 
African-American that he had Middle Eastern descent, it was like I just kind of got a little ill to my stomach thinking maybe that was that person. So I don't know if it's anything. I just wanted to call it in just in case. Did you know who Logan was before this? No, I live in Kansas. Oh. I live in Kansas. I was on vacation in Vegas. And I, I just, for whatever reason, when I watched that episode today, that guy caught my attention when I was walking in Vegas, didn't even give him a thought except for, man, that guy doesn't look like he, he looks like he has family. He doesn't look like one of these people that's down here all, you know, effed up on drugs. And like some of those people, you know, that's their crazy choice of the way they want to live the rest of their life because they've stuck a heroin needle in their arm. You, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And this guy didn't look like that. Just it, it was striking enough to me to, to make a phone call and say, maybe somebody should look there. So, I guess we're going to Vegas. Next time on Hide and Seek. Okay, so this doesn't make sense. Look at it. That's Logan's phone records. Then why is their phone calls going out on Friday afternoon, Friday evening, Saturday, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening? That's not Logan's phone. Then whose phone calls are these? When I look at the case file, I didn't understand why I saw calls going out of Logan's phone on Friday afternoon, Friday evening, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, because his phone was found in the car. So this next section is a call log provided by you. Do you know how you got this document? AT&T would let me go in and see all the calls. So now we get to Friday. Which is even because the phone was in the car, theoretically. 